churches of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. To be contrite is to feel remorse, it's to express remorse. It's for recognition of what we have done. And uh, we'll come back into this psalm just as we're going on in the message today. But in relation to the word yieldedness, there is another word which I feel was significant, and it's the word nevertheless. I always thought nevertheless should be three words, but it's one word. It's three words all rolled into one. And uh, Jeanette mentioned that last week, and it made me think about Jesus, and Jeanette referred to this when he was in the garden. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there's something about being in that difficult place, that distressing place, and being able to say the word, nevertheless, yet nevertheless, you will be done. Do you know, there are a number of occasions where I personally have had to say, as an individual, as a leader in this church, and you know, as, a, as the pastor of this church, nevertheless, nevertheless, you see what's going on round about you, and you say, nevertheless, you submit yourself to God and to His will and all that He has for us. And just say that in light of the journey that we've been on as a fellowship. You know, sometimes we've prayed for healing and we've not seen those miraculous breakthroughs that we've been hoping for. We've had the sadness of saying farewell to a disproportionately large number of people in the last five years compared to the 10 years before that. Think about it. If you stop to think about what's happened in our fellowship, we've lost more people through death in the last five years than we did in the previous 10. A lot more. And so we've had that sadness in our hearts of having to say farewell to people. And we've also had to say goodbye to some people who've moved on to other churches and whatnot. And, you know, if I was to be totally honest this morning, I, 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 I get, I understand that this has a massive impact on people. It has a massive impact on families when these things happen. But it also has an impact on the congregation. If it doesn't impact you, then maybe you've been going to a different church for the last wee while. Um, I'm pretty sure it does impact you. It impacts me as the leader of the church here. And all these things can eventually take the toll. And as I was preparing for today, I just kind of felt, I felt I needed to say this, and don't panic when I say it. I said this to there just to wind everybody up when we were praying. But I feel personally that I've come to an ending of sorts. I feel that there's a season which we have been in which is coming to an end and God is taking us into a new season I don't know about you but there have been things happening in me and around me that have made me go what is what's going on here where's God where's God in all of this and I read something just during the week we were thinking about how God is our provider and the little phrase that was written down was man's extremity is God's opportunity man's extremity is God's opportunity. In other words, when you get to the end of yourself and all of your resources and all of your wisdom, what does Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 say? And all your ways acknowledge him. 
and he will, you know, don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Maybe for me, maybe for me that ending is to stop leaning on my understanding. Maybe for us as a congregation, maybe that ending is to stop relying on the past, stop relying on where we've been and to start to enter into God's opportunity. And I feel that the message which I'm going to share this morning is the crux of all that I want to share from this book of Ephesians. And I believe today is a God moment in the series. I really feel today that God is calling us to rise up and to fight. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to pick up that sword again when you're battle-weary and you just want to lie down and rest. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to pick up that sword and to continue fighting. But I think today God is saying it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up and be counted. We need to fight for truth. We need to fight for our families. We need to fight for our church. We need to fight for our brothers and sisters, particularly the sick and the poor in spirit. We need to fight for our community, for the children, the young people, the families, the elderly, the poor, the sick, and the infirm, and the abused and the disadvantaged. We need to stand up and we need to fight. And God is looking for a response from us today. I'm a little bit sad that there are so many people away on holiday today, but I'm recording the message on video so that we've got a record of this and we can share this message later on. God is looking for a response from us today. What will our response today? I will ask you to respond today. Why? Because there are eternal things at stake here. Response determines what will happen I don't know if you've seen that film Gladiator. Has anybody seen it? I love the film Gladiator. What we do in life echoes in eternity. I love that line. How theological it is, I'm not sure. Something about it sounds remotely true to me. What we do here has an impact on what will happen in eternity. The decisions we make today will will impact our tomorrows, but they will also impact eternity. Let me read Ephesians chapter 6. Please turn to it. We're going to read from verse 10. If you're ready, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helm of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me 
that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What a fantastic passage of Scripture, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing, he's in prison, and he's thinking about those maybe who have imprisoned him, and here he is writing this incredible revelation from God, and it reverberates down through the centuries to us today as well. It talks about a struggle in here, for a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, etc., etc., Our struggle is a spiritual struggle. But the reality is that every person on the planet struggles. Everybody struggles. And we all struggle with different things. And I was just reminded this week that we don't struggle on our own. We have a Savior. We have a Holy Spirit who lives within us. And we're able to call Him Lord. And in the struggle, we can find meaning and we can find purpose. I've yet to hear another life philosophy that is able to adequately describe pain, suffering, and struggling and give it some kind of purpose. But Jesus has done that for us. He has demonstrated that pain and suffering can have purpose for us. I'm going off notes here. But Paul says here, finally, after talking to husbands, wives, children, slaves, masters, considering our conduct as Christians, based on the knowledge that we are in Christ. If you remember that message, we're positioned to people, a new creation. Those who know and love God, those whose eternal destiny is fixed in Him. And this is what Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And Paul emphasizes this whole thing about taking your stand. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. The second time, stand your ground. Stand after you've done everything. Keep standing. It's the easiest thing in the world when things come against us in life to just go, wait a minute, this is too much for me. The Bible is encouraging us, Paul is encouraging us to keep standing after everything. And lastly, to stand firm. Verse 12, he says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And that's often where we experience our opposition at that level. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. And they've been doing this for as long as man has occupied the earth. Think about that. Here are we. I've been on the planet for 51 years okay? I've had 51 years worth of trying to work this out and battle this out and trust in God and do all that. The enemy that I face is a spiritual enemy who's been doing this for centuries with every person who has ever walked on the planet. My goodness, he's got a lot of experience compared to us. Therefore, we need to learn not to lean on our own understanding Because we don't really understand how to come against the spiritual enemy. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. 
I could go into another subject there, but I'm not going to go into that for the sake of time. You see, we face a spiritual enemy. I was in Edinburgh yesterday with Josh, and uh, we're going to get his flute repaired. And as I'm walking uh, from Princess Street down a way back uh, towards, uh, I forget which area of Edinburgh it is, but a way down, what, what area of Edinburgh is that? Hanover Street, then a way down towards Stockbridge, that's right, down that direction to get his flute fixed. And I came back from being there, and uh, I realized that I had been sensing something as I was in Edinburgh. There was some kind of Halloween uh, thing on in uh, Ingolston, and uh, we were just kind of watching and observing as we were traveling in on the tram. And, but there was just this sense of just an oppression. And, and I came home and I said to Sarah, it's just this, I, I could almost feel something when we were in Edinburgh. You could just feel that the enemy was at work. And it made me realize the importance of praying, the, the importance of our prayer life to pray for what we see around us, what we're sensing around us, and to pray into these things. You see, we face a spiritual enemy, not a flesh and blood enemy. And there's an example, I think, in the New Testament. Um, Jesus had started telling the the disciples about his death, if you remember, Um, and Peter actually rebuked Jesus. How dare he? Bold Peter. He was almost saying to Jesus, what do you know? Hey, Peter said to him, and listen to what, uh, sorry, listen to what Jesus said uh, uh, in, in this situation. He says, get behind me, Satan. If you were Peter, how would you feel? Get behind me, Satan. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Where did that come from? You try to tell me I'm the, the devil incarnate. That's not what he was saying. What Jesus was saying was that who was speaking through Peter was the enemy of his soul. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus was addressing the spirit behind what was happening. He recognized that it wasn't a flesh and blood enemy, but there was a spiritual force behind what was happening. There's a spiritual force behind what's happening today in this place. Did you know that? The devil does not want us to hear this message. The devil does not want us to succeed and to prosper in any way individually, families, corporately as a church. He doesn't want us to prosper. And let me just do a summary. I want to just summarize the spiritual armor quickly. We've read about the spiritual armor. I want to just summarize it quickly. And where I want to focus on this morning is this area of the belt of truth. Okay, that's where I'm going to land in just a minute or two. But I wanted to just take a quick run through the other aspects of the armor of God. It talks about righteousness uh, as being like a breastplate. Righteousness is essentially right living before a holy God. And right living comes from right thinking. And right thinking comes from having ourselves being transformed through the renewing of our minds as we meditate on who God is, as we meditate on Scripture, as we just get to know who God is. He changes us on the inside, and our right thinking becomes right living. The opposite of that, if you like, is dishonor or corruption. Then it talks about the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's likened to footwear that we put on that allows us to run. 
Let me quote the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah writes this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring bad news, who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. There's a readiness that comes from having this message in us to be able to deliver to other people. There's something in here about going, moving, taking, carrying, passing on, delivering a message of hope, of peace, of salvation. And it's a case of being ready. Are we ready to take that message to others? It's a bit like that, here I come, ready or not. I don't care if you're ready or not, I'm coming. I'm coming after you with this message because it's a good message. It's good news. The opposite of that is silence. Have you ever been in that position where you feel that God has a word that you can share with somebody else and you don't say it? Have you ever been there? Okay, I've been there where you kind of think, I've got something that I can say to this person that is good news and you don't say anything. The opposite is silence. Why? Maybe because we're not ready. We need to pray ourselves up every morning before we go out the door and say, Lord, who are you going to lead me to today and what do you want me to say or do? It talks about the helmet of salvation and there's a whole world of study in this. I believe that the helmet of salvation protects us and there's this whole thing about the battle for the mind and the protection of the mind and uh, it's where the enemy often tries to get in. He tries to get in through our thought life and uh, we need to have that helmet of salvation on. Although that's not going to be the, the, the focus of what we're talking about today. I, I think the opposite of salvation is destruction. The enemy wants destruction in our lives, but God wants our salvation. Then it talks about the shield of faith. And this is our defense against the arrows of the enemy, and they can come relentlessly at times. Have you ever been in that place? You might be in that place right now where you feel you're kind of standing with that shield and the arrows just kind of keeping coming. The enemy keeps having a pop at you. And as soon as you think you can sit down, you go, boop, and there's another one. And it just is like a barrage. It keeps coming. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that. I have sometimes feel like uh, in, the, in the church that there's this continual barrage. It's one thing after a faith after another, and we need to keep holding up that shield of faith. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself here, okay? I personally feel that I have been holding that shield of faith for months and months and months. It's been one thing after another, after another, after another. And sometimes I have felt like I want to put that shield of faith down and just go run away and hide in a wee corner and have a wee greet to myself. But we need to keep that shield of faith up against the onslaught of the enemy. He wants us to fail. The opposite, if you like, of the shield of faith is doubt. And doubt is really easy. You know, it's easier to believe nothing than to believe something and fight for it. <laughs> and then we've got the Word of God, which... The sword of the Spirit, it's told, it, it, it describes it as a, like a sword. Um, and, and for me, it's about studying the Word of God. It's about knowing the Word of God. It's about memorizing the Word of God. And uh, also in all of that, remembering 
that the Word of God is a person. Jesus is the Word of God. He is the Word become flesh. He is the very expression of the Father. He is, he is if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. He is the very essence and expression of the Father. We need to study Jesus. We need to study. We need to memorize. We need to get these things into our spirit. And once they're in there, the Holy Spirit can bring these things out at the right moment where something's happening. You may be holding up your shield of faith and we can go back. We could go back in and look at the temptations of Jesus. We've preached on that before in the church. How did he respond? On every occasion, he responded with the word of God. That was his only means of attack as well as prayer. We need to know the promises of God. We need to know the commands of God. We need to recall what the Holy Spirit has said to us through the prophetic. If you've ever had a prophetic word, if you've ever had that moment where you're reading the scriptures and you've read something like 10 million times and all of a sudden you go, wow, wow, God's speaking to me through this. You know those moments where you've read the same thing over and over again and then the Holy Spirit just takes it and brings it alive in you and it is the word of God to you for that moment for whatever you're facing. It's only going to happen if you're in the word of God to start with. If we're not reading our Bibles, if we're not taking that time, how is God ever going to speak to us? And then how can we ever recall that when times get tough? We need to be diligent in these things. We need to pray over the words that God has given us until they become a reality in our lives. The opposite of this, if you like, is darkness and ignorance. And I think if we look around, we can see a world that's full of darkness and ignorance. Just to give you an example of what it's like to stand although this is a physical example from the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10, there's a man called Eliezer. He's one of David's three uh, closest mighty men. And it tells us that they were coming against the Philistines. And here's this man called Eliezer. Everybody else has done a runner. Have you ever had that moment where it's like, you're all standing in a line and somebody says, please volunteer, and everybody else stands back and you're left standing? You know that moment? This is Eliezer, he's standing with his sword, and he's like, whoa, where did everybody go? And it says here, it says here, that he stood his ground and struck down, don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there are very real enemies that come against God's people. He struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. His hand was stuck onto the sword, he couldn't move it anymore. He couldn't even open his hand. And it says that the Lord brought about a great victory that day. We need to persevere. We need to hold on. We need to be not the people who go one step back and go, ha ha. We need to be together in it. And there's something about, something powerful, I think, that God's wanting to say that as we come together in these things, then we will prevail and we will break through. We don't want to spend a little bit more time, and I know time is marching away, is on this whole thing about the belt of truth. You know, Jesus said about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the very embodiment of truth. 
And we're told to put on the belt of truth. If we are to become Christ-like, we need to be the embodiment of truth. And not just as individuals, but also as a church. You see, Jesus was concerned about truth in the church. There needs to be truth in the church. Let me pause and say that. Jesus talked about false teachers. Jesus talked about false prophets. Jesus even talked about false disciples. People who on the outside looked as if they were Christians, but there was nothing on the inside. The Holy Spirit, not inside. That transformation, not happening inside. And when there's nothing inside, guess what? It shows eventually on the outside. Jesus was concerned about truth in the church, and we need to be people who speak truth. Truth can never be a relative term. If something is true, it's true for all people in all locations at all times. Sitting here today, you're experiencing something that's true. What is that, you say? A long sermon? No. (laughs) You're experiencing the force of gravity, which is keeping you in your seat. It's something that's applicable to everybody on the planet, all seven and a half billion of us at this point in time, and it's keeping us grounded on the earth unless you want to get really clever and talk about these anti-gravity chambers and all that kind of stuff and people in planes and do-do-do. Okay, the reality is for us is that we're experiencing something that's true for all people at all times and everywhere. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He is the embodiment of truth. And we're asked to put on truth as something that surrounds the center of us. The Amplified uh, Bible puts it this way. So stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the wide band of truth, personal integrity, moral courage around your waist. Personal integrity is how the Amplified puts it, and moral courage it's very easy to go with the flow. The Bible says that the road to destruction is a broad path. It's a broad path. And many people are walking on that path. But the road into his kingdom is a narrow way. Let me give you an example of truth. I quoted Psalm 51 earlier. Right? David was the person who wrote this psalm. King David, who wrote many of the psalms, King David's heart as king was filled with lust for a lady called Bathsheba. He had to have her, says, of a quiet. And he essentially had her husband killed in the process of acquiring this woman. And he tried to cover the whole thing up, but he was called out by the prophet of God. You see, God knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And I'm so glad that the prophet doesn't come up and say to me in front of everybody else, by the way, see that thing there in your life? You need to get that sorted out. It's like, boring into you. But Nathan came to David, to David the king and he said, this is you. This is you that's done this. And David, you know, you read about that in, uh, I think it's 2 Samuel. 
uh, forget the, the, the reference. But David's response is that I have sinned against the Lord. That's his response to Nathan. And Psalm 51 is the psalm that he wrote after all of this had happened, after all the chaos, after all the mayhem, after all the upset. And he wrote Psalm 51. And it's called that the penitential psalm. David's psalm of confession and repentance before God. And it's in this psalm that David says, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in my inmost place. See, truth is something that needs to be central to our lives. God is looking for truth. The truth about who we are versus the lies of the devil. The lies of the devil might be actually to come along and say to you, you're rubbish. And you start to believe that. But the lies of the devil might be to come along and say, you're brilliant. You're fantastic. Look at what you're doing. You're amazing. And you go, that was good, eh? That might be a lie from the devil. We need to hear the truth. We need to hear the truth about ourselves. We need to hear the truth about relationships with friends, with family, with the church, with the leadership in the church, perhaps with neighbors. And we need to have a truth in what we say. Do you know, a few messages ago, I talked about there needing to be that linking together, that meshing together between your private world and your public world. You need to be the same person inside as you are in public. You need to be that same person. And uh, just as I was away on holiday, um, we were listening to a podcast, and uh, it was a a man called Gordon MacDonald who wrote a book called Order in Your Private World. I don't know if you've read it. It's a great book. You should read it. And he said, almost no one bears a heavier load than the carrier of personal secrets of the past or the present. Let me read that again. Almost no one bears a heavier load than the carrier of personal secrets of the past or the present. A couple of years ago at conference, Chris Hodges said this, you only stay as sick as your secrets. Think about that. God desires truth in the inner parts. He desires us to be true in here so that whatever else flows out of us is true. And I pause and I hesitate. And I ask God, should I say what I'm going to say next? Honestly, I've wrestled with this for weeks. And I've not shared it. And I've wrestled and I've wrestled and I've not shared it. And I think I need to, I need to share this. Simply because I can't Shake it off. God demands truth in the inner parts. God demands truth in what comes out of us, our words, our deeds, our actions. And I just feel that what God has been just impressing on me is that there are things which have been said in the life of this church that have not been true. There are things which people have been saying. Sam, you brought a message on thinking about the words that we use. That's when this started. 
the words that we use, and there are things which have been floating around in the ether of this church, negative things, and I feel God is saying today it needs to stop. It needs to stop. What are you saying in your private world? What are you saying about those in the church? What are you saying about the church? What are you listening to? What are you taking part in, even just through listening? If we read Ephesians, and we have been reading through Ephesians, we see that when we allow these things to happen, what do we do? Ephesians 4.27, we give the devil a foothold. We give the enemy a foothold into our lives as an individual, perhaps into our families, perhaps into the church. And we allow the devil access. Does it sound like something I said just a few minutes ago? Get thee behind me, Satan. Who was speaking? A person. What was the underlying reason for that? It was the enemy trying to destroy, destroy and and bring destruction. If we allow words, the things which we say, to just flow out there so that anybody can hear them, then we are potentially allowing the devil a foothold in the life of this church. And God is saying it needs to stop. We need to think about what we're saying before we say it. And we need to be reminded, also we read this in Ephesians, that when we do this, what does it do? It grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved, who can feel that sorrow. It says about not grieving the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. We grieve the Holy Spirit by, an, by allowing these things to happen in the church. If you want a story of deception, go back into Acts chapter 5. You see, the opposite of truth is deception. What is Acts chapter 5? What does it start off talking about? It starts off talking about a man called Ananias, who, along with his wife Sapphira, sold a field, and they brought the money, as everybody else was doing, into the church put it at the apostles' feet, and that was fine, except they presented 100 pounds and they sold it for 150. But they presented it as it was 100 pounds. And that's where the deception was. The deception wasn't in keeping something for themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. The deception was in trying to look good by saying, we've done this as well, and, you know, you know, you're really great. You've, you've sold all this property and you've brought it into the church and wow, it's great. Deception was at the heart of it. And if you read Acts chapter five, as we did at the start of the year, what happened to Ananias? Gone. This is the New Testament church we're talking about. Surely God's not like that. Surely God doesn't do things like that. This isn't Old Testament. This is New Testament Everything has a consequence. Every idle word that we say, every thought that we think, everything that we do, everything has a consequence. Incredible. 
Sapphira, she came in and she had the opportunity. Pounds. No. How much did you sell that field for? 100 pounds. No, it was 150. The Holy Spirit's just shown me. <laughs> Gone. Again. And maybe, maybe we've lost something in the church of a sense of the judgment of God. Maybe in the church we've lost something of a sense of the fear of God. God is the almighty creator of us and everything that we see that surrounds us and the invisible stuff as well. God has created all this. And we come and we think with our puny little peanut brain that we can argue with God. Ha! Don't rely on your own understanding. Hey, because it's not very helpful in the grand scheme of things. Maybe we've been listening to the lies of the enemy. I don't know. I, I feel, I just feel, I'm not going to sit my iPad next to my water. That would be a bad idea. I just feel that God wants us to respond to what he's saying today. I want to share with you a word though. And this is a word which was given to me on Wednesday the 25th of January 2017. And to give you some context, the weekend before this word was shared, I watched a film called The Dam Busters. Has anybody ever seen that film? Yep, great film, love it. And so at the weekend, I had watched that film. And this was now the Wednesday of that week. And I was supposed to be going to a meeting in Stirling, which was a kind of training thing all about church culture. You know, what's church culture all about? It sounds great, you know, go and find out about church culture. But then I felt a prompting in my spirit to be somewhere else. It was a meeting that was being run by Ray Stokes, our friend, uh, Ron Edwards, our friend. And it was all about the prophetic and how to move in the prophetic. And somebody got up and they shared a message. They shared a word. And this is what it began with, Isaiah 59, 19. The word began with a scripture. The word says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And this is what the person said. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. This was a word to me, but it was a word to me as the leader of this church. It's almost like a dam. I was like, whoa, I've just been watching that. I know, what that, I know what happens when this happens. It's almost like a dam. The enemy floods attacking them, uh, but they're too busy trying to block it themselves, leaning on his own understanding, trying to block all the cracks. Do you hear what's been said here? But what God is saying is that there's going to be a culture change. Um, was that not the meeting I was supposed to be at down in Stirling? And here I am in Dundee, and God's saying, see all that stuff you were going to learn there? I've got something to say about that. He says there's going to be a culture change, there's going to be a season change, and that you're no longer going to have to do it all yourself. I was like, oh, yes, I love it. There's going to rise up an army beside you. Stand therefore, stand your ground you'll start to see a culture change in your church. And what's going to happen is that there's going to be, uh, there's going to, uh, and it's going to help you to protect this enemy from getting in from all angles, and it's going to free you up, and you're going to have the time to express yourself in God. And there's going to be a fresh flood, a fresh flood from heaven is going to come. It's not going to be a flood from the enemy anymore, but you're going to have this culture change within the church. 
I was blown away by this. This was in 2017. Why am I sharing it now? Because when God shows you something, you've got to pray with it. You've got to sometimes wrestle with it. You've got to sometimes get down into the valley and be beaten up by it. I was blown away as I listened to this. It wasn't addressed specifically to me. It was addressed to a congregation. And I sat there with the tears running down my face. And as soon as Michael was finished, I put my hand up and said, by the way, that is for me. And I had the privilege of being prayed over at that particular service. You see, God is able to speak into our lives and into our situations. In the last few weeks, I was sitting praying and I'm thinking, I need to write all this down. I'm just getting a wee bit muddled in my prayers. And so I began to write down my prayers. Prayers which are personal, prayers for my family, prayers for the church and so on. And I had not been thinking about this word which had been given to me back in January 2017. And as I was sitting writing down my prayers, I wrote this down. When will, there be, uh, when will we enter a season change? I was praying for the church. When will we enter a season change? Do we need to do anything in terms of obedience in order to be ready to get there? And I wrote that prayer down as I was praying it, and I thought, that's my prayer. That's my question to God. When will we enter a season change? And do we need to do anything to get there? Later that morning, I read an email from a website that I use uh, in school called Explore God. And they send out emails, and I don't read any of the emails that they send. I just delete them. I don't have time to read them. But today I read the email, or this particular day, and I'll not bore you with the details and the context. I'll simply come to the bit which I felt God share with me. And this is what it said. Part of the email said, God wants you to know that it wasn't a mistake. You didn't miss the mark, but it's time for a new season. I was blown away by this. I thought, wow. Later that week, I had a meeting uh, with Michael. He's a, a good friend to our family. Marbert is a good friend. Uh, and, you know, their family's a, a good friend to our family. And I was sitting with Michael over lunch, just asking him some questions about nothing to do with this. And I just happened to share this word. And I said, I really feel God was speaking to me uh, through this. And he was so excited. He says, God is speaking to you through that. And so to have somebody else verify that, God wants you to know that it wasn't a mistake. You didn't miss the mark, but it's time for a new season it's time for a new season in the life of this church. This is why I wish more people were here to hear this. And the same morning, that same morning, I came into church here, I, I stood and I looked out those windows. Right? For the guys who are sitting over there, they're too close, you'll not be able to see out, but you can have a look later. But most other people will be able to see out the windows and I'm standing on the same day and I'm looking out and I'm thinking, yep, autumn's on the way. There's a season change. But do you know what I observed? Some of the trees are well into autumn and some of the trees aren't. And I felt God speak to me again. He says, you need to understand there are people in the church who are ready to go, season change, let's go for it. And there are other people who are saying, eh, I quite like it the way it is, thank you very much. But there's a season change coming and I say this 
and I'll tell you, I've had to wrestle with this this week. Because as soon as I finished preparing this, I felt this, this voice inside of me saying, you're just stupid. You're just making it up. You're just talking rubbish. I had to wrestle with this stuff this week in order to get here to be able to share this message into the life of this church, which I love and have been part of all these years. I was looking out the window and I was thinking, okay, some people are going to get this right away and some people are maybe even ahead of me in it. But some people just need a bit of time to get there. And I really feel God is saying that it's time for a season change. When I kicked off this series of messages, I got quite emotional, if you remember, quite passionate. I really felt the Holy Spirit started getting a hold of me. And what I said was that we've talked about it's time, we've sung about it's time, but now it is time. It's time for a season change. And I really feel God has been speaking to me about things. I'm like, oh, I need to write it all down. Can I remember it? And so, just trying to remember what God is saying, or what I feel God is saying. It's time for a season change. And I really feel that God wants to do something today. And time has, time has gone. Um, but I really feel that we need to make a response to this today. And I think there are two things, this isn't in my notes, there are two things that I feel God wants us to respond to. The first is the negative stuff. If that has been part of your experience, then I feel what God is saying today is you need to repent of that. Saying negative things about other people, about the church, about leaders. If that's been part of your experience, you need to repent of that today. And it's so important. Repentance is... That's what I've been doing. I'm now going to head in the other direction. It's about stopping doing that and starting doing something else. And God is saying that that might be you today. And I know how easy it is to say negative things in the church and about leaders. Because I've been there. I've been there. And I've had to repent, not only before God, before other people as well. And that's a painful thing. I've been there. I've done that. And I'm not proud of some of the things that I've said in the past. But God calls us to a place of repentance. The second thing is, are you ready and prepared to take your stand? Are you ready and prepared? Everybody's left going to be the Eliezer who stands there after everybody's left, and keep fighting the enemy until the, that point in time where you break through. I think it's a significant word, this word about breaking through in the church. I've talked about it, I've prayed about it. We need to enter into it. And I feel God wants us to respond to these things this morning. I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, and just let's bow our heads and be quiet. just for a moment. Maybe Sarah, you could start playing for us a wee bit. 
There's something about what I really feel God has been wanting to say into the life of this church today. And uh, Father, we just come before you this morning. And Father, it's, it's sometimes a difficult place to be when we hear a word like this, when we hear a word that demands a response. But Father, we pray, and we have been praying, that our spiritual eyes and ears would be open to all that you want to say to us this morning. Father, you know my heart in this, and you know, Father, you just know the, the wrestling that's went on in order to share this message today. But Father, I believe you have a plan and a purpose for every individual in this church. Father, you know the plans that you have for us. And Father, we're going to fight for those plans. We're going to fight for those people. We're going to be the people who stand in the gap. We're going to be the people who make that positive declaration over this church that your hand has not left this church, that your hand is very much with this church, that you're speaking into this church. And Father, just as we're in this moment, we pray that you'd help us to really analyze our own hearts. Father, if there are areas within our hearts that are dark areas where there's been that lack of truth, Father, areas where there's been potential things that have brought harm in our thinking, Lord, we just, we just bring those things before you just now. And just in this moment, if there are things which you have said, thought, shared, listened to that have been unwholesome, that have, been not, that have not been to build up, then we just need to bring those things before God just now. And let's just take a moment in some silence, uh, not praying out loud, but just in the silence of our own hearts to bring those things before God and make this a day where we put those things behind us. Maybe this is your prayer today. Maybe it's my prayer today. Father, I pray that you forgive me for every idle word, for every word that I have spoken that is not wholesome, that is potentially harmful to somebody else, potentially harmful to the church. And Father, I just confess that before you this morning. And Father, I just come before you and acknowledge that I need you. Father, I thank you that, that grace and mercy is found in Jesus. Father, that that grace and mercy is found in his completed work, that he died for our sins, 
in order that we might walk in newness of life. Father, I thank you that you have made me a new creation and I pray that you would help me to be transformed through the renewing of my mind. Father, that I might know your plans and heart and purposes for me. And maybe this is your prayer this morning. Father, I just want to be part of this new season. I want to be part of what you're doing in the life of this church. I want to be part of what you plan to do to reach people for Jesus in this community. And Father, just to experience the blessing and goodness of God. Father, to begin to pray like I've never prayed before. To begin to serve like I've never served before. To begin to really experience the things of God like I've never done before. And Father, I just say today that I want to be part of that. And if you have prayed that prayer in your heart today, then I just encourage you to stand. I just have one last thing that I want to share as we're standing. Times for me in the life of being part of this church stuff had been going on uh, and it was affecting me personally and I'd allowed, I had allowed things to get as Mike Sherwood and uh, we had a, a visiting speaker with us uh, at that point in time, his name is Mike Sherwood uh, some might remember him if you've been here a long time and uh, Mike had been speaking and he invited people to come forward to the front and I remember, I'll never forget, Mary and I getting up at our seats and walking down to the front and Mike Sherwood eyeballed me coming and as soon as I stepped up onto this platform he said God is saying to you don't withdraw your service one of the most powerful moments in my life one of the most powerful moments in my life here in this church don't withdraw your service this is the time to stand this is the time to take your stand and to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to acknowledge that his plans and purposes will prevail, even though we don't see what's happening, we don't get the whole picture. Father, we pray, help us to respond uh, positively to what you're saying this morning. And Lord, maybe those who listen to this message later on, uh, Lord, we just pray, help us to respond to what you're saying. Because Father, we recognize that there are eternal consequences. There is a world which needs Jesus Father, there's a community that surrounds us that needs Jesus. They don't need another politician or a good idea, another theory. Father, people who need Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, people in our own families who need Jesus, people in our workplaces, in our colleges, in our universities, in our streets who need Jesus. Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would come and that you would stir our hearts today. Lord, may this not be a word which we go away and forget about, but Father, may this be a word which examines our hearts. May it be one that we respond to today. And Father, we will be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, because Father, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of every 
thing that we can bring or do or say. And Lord, as we, as we take up our tithes and offerings, as we sing, as we worship you, uh, this one last time before our service ends today, Lord, we pray that you would come and that you'd move upon us. Lord, that you'd seal some things in our hearts today. Lord, that you would seal some things in our spirit today. Lord, that we will make a determination today that this will be the day where things change. This will be the day where I start populating my diary in a different way with the activities and the time that you are worthy of. Father, may the decisions that we make today impact the things that we put in our diary even this week. Father, may the decision that we make today impact the conversations that we have this week with those who don't know you yet. Because, Father, you have done so much and it's good news and we want to share that and take it to other people. So, Lord, be praised, be glorified in this church, in our families, in the life of this church. And, Father, we pray, we do pray your protection over the message because we know that as soon as we go away, and trying to uh, do what happens of the air, trying to come and steal the message, trying to steal away, and trying to uh, do what happened as I was even preparing to bring this word, saying it's, it's nonsense, it's this, it's that. We pray your protection over us, that, that we might have this word in good soil, and that it might take root, and Father, that it might overflow into fruitfulness and righteousness and a harvest. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All God's people said... Let's continue to praise him. Let's take up our tithes and offerings and let's really rejoice in who God is today.